I think that the ultimate job of an entrepreneur is to understand that you know you don't know nothing and you need to learn everything as fast as possible. Happy holidays and welcome to Founders Voyage. Our speaker today is the co-founder of two companies, BuyWaste, where he operates as CEO, and Swabit, where he is the managing director. He has a passion for data and innovation and an avid knowledge explorer. We are honored to have Tommaso Troiani as our speaker today. Thanks so much, Spencer. Tommaso is going to kick us off talking about his journey as Spencer and I ask him a few questions. We're so honored to have you take the time to do this with us today, Tommaso, especially around the holidays. So thank you for your willingness. First question, I feel like I know you a bit, but I'd love it if you could tell us about some of your experience growing up and about some of the earlier life events and mentors that you feel influenced you personally and professionally. Well, you know, first of all, thank you for the nice introduction and uh, congratulations for the program. Okay, well, speaking of myself, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, you know, uh, hard to, you know, to tell personal stories, you know, starting from nowhere. So maybe, you know, it's good to start from the last part. You know, in the last three years, I've been, you know, starting companies, startups, mostly two main ones. You know, uh, I also, you know, run, uh, you know, I also chase other ideas, you know, maybe one day they will concretize into something more. And, you know, uh, you know, my, my specialty is to software companies because I find it very, very easy. I mean, at least easier, you know, to produce wine or beer simply because, you know, it's very fast to get feedback loops and to, you know, to learn out of this. And, you know, uh, well, uh, uh, I have the, the the opportunity, you know, to to do some technical stuff thanks to my background. I'm an engineer, uh, an industrial engineer, so I haven't code too much in my life. But you know, I know how to think like an engineer. So, and this is very helpful when you're planning, when you're making budgets, and you know, when you know you try to be systematic about innovation. Uh, I also spend time uh, at the university as a researcher. You know, uh, right after the the master degree in supply chain engineering, something like that, I decided not to become a consultant or not to work for uh, any of the major industrial uh, companies, yeah, which were in Italy. Where, you know, many of my colleagues ended up working, and I decided, you know, to give a try to to academia, <laughs> and I decided to give a try to to another country. So from Italy, I moved to the Netherlands where I work for the University of Delft, which is a very, very, very nice campus, very futuristic. You know, uh, it has a nice contrast with, uh, with the surroundings. Surroundings, they're very old, very typical Dutch, uh, you know, from the golden area in 1700s. And, you know, the campus is, is fantastic. And, you know, and there I felt it was the right place where I could meet, uh, you, know, you know, nice people, at least, you know, embrace an environment where, you know, we can produce something innovative. Uh, and I, a great place where I didn't have to shave to go to work, which, which was important. 
And, uh, you know, well, uh, before uh, I studied in Italy, in Bologna, uh, you know, I studied mechanical engineer, industrial engineer, something around these terms. And there, you know, I start to understand that maybe I could be an entrepreneur in the future, especially on a few business classes that you take in, when you do technical studies. There are always some, you know, one, two extra credits you can get by studying you know, business, stuff like that. You know, and there I understood, well, maybe that's something for me <clears throat> because it was, you know, I felt somehow I had to connect, you know, the, the two main parts of my personality. One is, you know, this, you know, technical curiosity and the willingness to explore the details and to go to, to the nerdiest possible uh, solutions. But the other is you know, something a bit more creative. You know, when I decided to go for engineer, I was choosing, you know, between physics, but also, you know, to go for, you know, painting class or art school. So, you know, in my, in, in my, hobby, in my spare time, I still paint and, you know, make drawings and stuff like that. So I felt like, you know, this job, the entrepreneur really, you know, uh, uh, is giving me the chance you know, to play different roles. I can be the creative one, I can be the technical one, I can be the business person. And, you know, somehow I felt like it matches my interest. I would not call them skill, but definitely curiosities. And that's it. So I, I, I am a, an artist who never became an artist. Uh, so, run, you know, my family, there are painters, artists, inventors. The past, you know, I decided to be an engineer just because I like to do the hard stuff. And, uh, and now I'm becoming a sort of mix in between, starting company, giving people ideas and, you know, try to make something out of this. That's more or less me in a, you know, in a circular story, with, for sure not linear. Thank you, Tommaso. Um, I find it quite interesting. So you're as also as an engineer, um, you sort of explored that engineering side, but wanted a bit more creativity and things like that. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's so important, and I feel so many engineers don't allow themselves to grow in that particular way, just because they have the mentality that they're an engineer. But I think it's very powerful the combination of skills. Now, I was hoping I could ask you a little bit when you sort of started to make that transition into entrepreneurship. What did you feel most unprepared for? Well, I think that when I started to consider this as a real job, I understood that I didn't know anything. And, uh, you know, this is still the case. <laughs> Even if, of course, in the last time, you know, you acquire experience, you meet with people and you know how to deal with, uh, you know, with your, uh, with your uncertainties. Of course, you know, Google is a great ally. But also, also people, they're great allies. Actually, people, you know, I think that the ultimate job of an entrepreneur is to understand that, you know, you don't know nothing and you need to learn everything as fast as possible. Ultimately, you know, my job is to, is to learn fast enough be uh, before the money finishes, for example. So this is my job. So I, I, I need to learn about people problems. I need to know about, I need to learn about, you know, financing. I need to learn about technical when I need to discuss with my technical team. So, you know, the ultimate job is a learner. And, you know, for this, of course, of course, you are never prepared. But I mean, the university and the, the academia, you know, give you a, a, you know, a ultimate framework so to, to think as a scientist. So you validate assumptions, 
And I think this is, this is very, very, very much important. Of course, for all the technicalities we learn along the way, you know, I think that I know not so much still about them, but, you know, uh, I know enough to, you know, to cover us, but at least to have a conversation with many, many people. That's more or less, you know, the, the goal. So, uh, um, I don't know if I answered your question, by the way. I can tell you that there's no wrong answers here. <laughs> and, and we ask follow-up questions too. So I, I think that was pretty well explained. But I, I was actually wondering if you could talk a little bit about the vision that inspired uh, Swabit and if, if that vision sort of evolved over time and what you're envisioning for the future. Okay, well, you know, Swabit, you know, yeah, uh, I always name it, you know, as my first child. Initially, like, you know, many, many things start as a game. And, you know, initially it was just a way to connect people, especially, you know, it started from my personal problem as many things in life as an international who was living in a, in a country which wasn't mine, which is the Netherlands. I actually wanted to find, you know, a platform, a way to connect with people besides in their style uh, kind of uh, meetings or uh, something more, uh, more professional conferences and other kind of meeting where, you know, you could meet people according to your interest and curiosities you know i think that's it start around around this problem i was looking for a place where i could find you know information about places information about people i could meet in the fastest possible way and that's how it started but again it started as a game i started to play with this idea with people who just helped me to start maybe people who you know spend with me just a couple of coffees and then, you know, actually for a while, I've also considered to stop it because it wasn't, no, he, he actually wasn't going nowhere. Uh, funny enough, because initially I felt, you know, it was very important for me to find uh, somebody who was more technical, who was able to make a software of this, and I, I didn't manage to find no. And of course, then, uh, well, life puts you in very nice uh, situation. I met, by chance, my, my co-founder. And then, you know, together we start to play with this a bit more, uh, you know, professionally. Initially, it was just pizza and post-it, as always. And, uh, and then we start to drink some coffee. And, well, a couple of months later, I decided to quit my job as a researcher at the university and, you know, and start this, you know, jumping into the, into the you know, uh, jump. So, well, and that was the start, of course. Uh, we we changed the the product quite sometimes, you know, because we were trying to find you know which was the perfect formula which matches something which was you know a real problem at scale. So well, we interview many many people. Initially, you know, I really followed quite literally, you know, build twenty uh, four steps at least the first ones. Yeah. It's about, you know, try to understand with your persona, your bitch at market, you know, I think those concepts are very powerful. And I spoke with many, many students because I've, I thought about starting from international students. You know, there in the Netherlands is one of the countries where, you know, more and more international students come to study due to the good university and the low, lower price compared to London, for example. Many, many people from Europe and Asia come there. And they are, you know, they need to find like-minded people. It was the perfect place to start. Now, well, we, we evolved. We did a couple of versions. We are still evolving. Funny now we are moving 
from a, you know, initially it was a pure business to consumer thing, just because, you know, I, I felt the problem as a consumer and it was the first, the first, you know, point of contact with the reality I actually found, you know, between this idea and, you know, whatever can solve. Now instead, you know, maybe since, you know, I'm getting more experience as an entrepreneur, so I'm growing as a business person. Now the company is switching more to a business to business opportunity. So now, you know, we are selling these community platforms for companies, but more important to community managers, you know, people who have these big Facebook groups who are looking for a solution to, you know, to have more control. And, you know, this is the opportunity we are chasing. Now we've been in contact with some of these, you know, especially in Italy, in the Netherlands. And well, we are now developing the platform for them. So funny enough, again, we start from a B2, B2C and now we are ending up as a B2B. It somehow makes sense because, you know, yeah, the, yeah you're, you're minimizing the risk. Uh, so it's easier to convince customers, investors, you know, people who are supporting you, you know, companies that are more rational, their consumer and there are less. So it's also easier to, you know, to, to get them, you know, consider the same amount of marketing, uh, marketing thing. I think that, you know, 2018, and, you know, this idea came into the, to his first peak, I would say. Uh, back then, it wasn't the right time to to have a to have a social a business to consumer idea. You know, uh, capital. The world of capital. It wasn't very much interest in putting money into a social. Maybe now in 2021, in the post-COVID world, you know the you know the the risks are changing. I know maybe investors they're more willing to try out a new social and you know I actually think I think there are some initiatives which are which in the future would be interesting but of course we we started earlier now we we are landing I would say to a more uh, more a business to business opportunity so it was really a journey I actually find some it's so interesting how you've gone about it and it's one of the sort of the same experience gave me um, the ideas for unseen games that I'm working on. So moving to another country and experiencing the level of, I wouldn't say isolation, but certainly not as much social life as I would like and not feeling part of any sort of community. And so I, I really relate to that sort of connection. And so in a bit of a transition, I was hoping we could also talk a little bit about bio-waste. So I, I've got like a couple of sort of quick fire questions in regards to bio waste. So feel free to just kind of take them however you want. But do you think it is going to be possible to have people intuitively see waste as valuable? What obstacles have you encountered in trying to promote this as a first mind thought? And do you think that this will be more challenging in some cultures than others? I think that, you know, by waste, first of all, well, uh, this idea, Know, matches two of my backgrounds. So, you know, I actually combined the experience I got at the university where I was studying exactly circular economy, sustainability, topics like that. But I studied them from a, um, an industrial perspective. So I was occupied making uh, uh, machines, industrial plants to, to recycle more efficiently. 
but you know, he actually combined this with the software experience I got from Swabit. And more or less, you know, and then here we go. I am working on a platform which connects citizen with producers, whoever was going to need your material, to sort of, you know, get rid of the concept of waste as it is, because, well, uh, we live in, a, in an environment in the world where there is no waste. You know, it, it is all in our mind. And, uh, well, definitely, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to convince people about this. Uh, but, and of course, there are culture where, you know, it is harder than others. But, um, well, first of all, I think that, you know, the moment you start a company, you have to look ahead. Uh, and more or less, you can minimize all the other risks. You can make validation. Uh, you can minimize, you know, in many other ways. But, well, somehow the ultimate bet is to, you know, yeah, you need to bet on the future state. You say, okay, uh, my vision, my bet is that in five years from now, the world is going to start to look at this with my perspective. And I think this is, this is really the, the ultimate challenge, you know, be right on your bet. Of course, you can, you can read reports, but reports, they always, you know, they look at the past. Instead, you have to look at the future. So I think that in the next five years, well, we are going to see more and more interesting stuff around sustainability. Especially, you know, I think that in this post-COVID world, we are going to see a, an acceleration. If you look at the money which comes from the uh, uh, European Union, but also Biden in the US is going, is, he actually promised, you know, uh, to put money into this system. So, you know, and actually more money generated here. So I think that, you know, uh, circular economy is going to be a very hot topic in the next decade. So, you know, I think that for this, we are in a good place. <laughs> uh, one is about, well, convincing people different culture, yes. But again, you start from, uh, you know, your, your WeChat market. And, uh, well, in our case, it, it is the Netherlands, or at least the North European countries, where people, there are more, uh, you know, more interest, especially, you know, by waste right now deals with governments and municipalities. So, and, you know, in countries like the Netherlands, the cities, they know very well what circular economy is. They know they need to do something. They have budget for it. But, you know, those managers, uh, they're not so much into the in, uh, new things. So, well, we, we are solving their problem. We are bringing them a new, a new idea, innovative idea, which focuses on our whole problems, which is the waste. It's going to be a challenge. Uh, currently, I'm mo uh, working mostly on this second opportunity, which, you know, in the last months, it gave me, it's giving me good chance, good challenges. Because, you know, yeah, uh, uh, this is not only, you know, you have to make the software work, but you need to make the whole system work. Uh, it is, you know, you need to try to understand, you know, the whole value chain of waste in this case. In, and what fascinated me, what I think it is, you know, the core of the, yeah, the moat, what Bill, you know, used to represent with this castle is, uh, you know, by wasting to understand very well the behavior of people, the way people connect with the sustainability idea. And also, you know, maybe the way people, you know, get triggered to do a sustainable action for a different purpose. We are now exploring very heavily with behavioral scientists how to motivate people, how to offer them some incentives, discounts, and maybe, you know, you're going to give us your item 
because you want uh, a discount or you want a reward or, or you want a badge, the software. So you are doing the wrong thing for the good goal. Yeah, that's more or less the idea. And somehow I think it's similar to when people stop to smoke or when, you know, this smoking idea you know, that was bad start to cigarette in the last 10 years. I think next 10 years will be about environment. And I think there are some good literature about behavior, how to change behavior uh, by looking at the, you know, at the smoking initiative and tobacco war, I think. Yeah, that's wonderful. I am so excited to hear how this evolves. I, I think it's um, an incredibly difficult but valuable mission you're on. And if you ever want to um, get more nerdy and and um, and delve into it deeper, I'd love to just talk about that for hours. Um, I, I think the behavior change element behind it has, um, you know, ramifications obviously for solving some really big world challenges that we're all passionate about. Um, so getting a little more uh, nitty gritty. We have a question from one of our listeners asking um, if you can talk a little bit more about the business model, you know, definitely behind Swabit and, and maybe behind BuyWaste as well. You know, who, who's actually paying if you're using advertisements and, and also if you could talk about, um, you know, your, your search for funding and investors a little bit. Okay, well, uh, yeah, starting from Swabit, in the last two years, we've been involved from a business to consumer where uh, we were charging, you know, small businesses who were putting their ads or, you know, content in communities targeting, you know, uh, uh, students, international students, which, I mean, I also found it interesting that even if in a country like the Netherlands, many, many more students are coming every year, you know, the small businesses, they're not really into students. And I, I found it fascinating. So one of the first business model aims to connect these two worlds. The small businesses who are living in these university cities, but so far they haven't managed to connect so much with this audience, apart from, you know, random Facebook ads. We wanted to get something more contextual. It was the first business model, you know. Uh, initially we got traction, but then we, we didn't manage to scale it. And now we offer, uh, you know, uh, basically a software solution which is, you know, a software as a service solution for community managers. So they're paying for our platform. They put their logo, the white labeling, and here we go. They start to share the link and they start to, you know, run their communities inside their own community. So, of course, this is not a solution which makes me the happiest, you know, uh, you know, because it's so, it's, it is somehow different from the vision I had, which was, you know, helping people like Spencer feel home in a different country you know to uh, yeah but you know the this is this is what we we managed to find it you know it was you know this little treasure managed to find after years of you know uh, yeah try to look for trying to trying to look for it uh well we we hoped you know to get finding the resources to scale it to more uh, consumer and there, try other form of, of uh, monetization. Maybe while well, people could sell items or services inside those communities, or some of them can be appealing for you know brands who want to sponsor them or etc. And you know, actually, this is this could open very interesting uh, scenarios because 
well, for the first time, you, you as a social media owner, uh, this community manager owner, you, you're going to receive some, some value out of the ads. And actually, this is one of the, see one of the things that we are finding very much, you know, uh, uh, yeah, uh, the customer we speak with were these uh, Facebook community owners, like communities of 10, 20,000 users. Now they're a bit frustrated because, you know, they all money goes to Facebook, all the money Facebook made out of ads, out of this information that generate inside the community. So, well, we, we would like to, you know, to share this profit with these owners and that's more or less, you know, this long-term vision we have. But now we are making business with businesses. Uh, that's about Wabbit, you know. Well, and these days we are not focused on investors. I connect with some VCs, but, you know, we don't think it's the right time. We want to we want to go slower than you know people expect we want to to really nail the problem because well when it's about communities there are very very hard uh, uh, topics to explore you know about you know the creation of content inside the community uh we have to find the best way to facilitate it etc so we don't want to enter in this you know vc machine because well we don't want to run uh, fast right now. We want to get, we want to learn and take it easy. So we are happy to sell our software to some of these early customers, and then together with them explore uh, how people behave inside that community. That's more or less the goal and the funding process. About by waste, <clears throat> we are now selling the platform to cities. No, next year I'm going. We are going to close the first two contracts. We're going to scale the solution to already fifty thousand families. And uh, well, I mean, we know that's not a scalable one because well, it's going to be a nightmare to to convince uh, you know all the municipality of the world because when you mention government municipalities, and well, you know, it, it doesn't make so much difference if they are from North Europe, South Europe, out of the world, out of the world. You know, the old governments are not efficient, not fast, etc. So it doesn't make as a, as a perfect audience to scale your business, but it makes it uh, it makes it as a good one to start. Uh, later on, we are going to we are going to start to sell direct to to the producers, and uh, well, this this is this is the goal. Try to start with the cities, start by getting paid for them, and also you know scale to. Uh, 50, 100,000 families and, you know, uh, uh, using this time to really understand the right set of incentives, the right behavioral models. So, and then after start to sell directly items we recycle to producers, which is not now part of our business. We only do the software one. And maybe later, you know, the moment we have so many data about how people behave about sustainability, I think this data would be also interesting to be put together in some reports, which, you know, could be sold, of course, without uh, breaking privacy. So, but, you know, just telling people how people in, uh, in Delft, in Rotterdam, uh, recycle, which is the audience. And I think those data would be valuable, even if, of course, it's not say, okay, Nancy has uh, yesterday disposed a phone, now you know you need to sell them a new one. This is definitely too much and is not aligned with our ethics, but well, 
maybe knowing that you know in the city of Rotterdam, 40% of people in the in the last year they actually got rid of their uh, monitors and the monitors they have you know seven years uh, they were seven year old and uh, so uh, things like that would be benefits. So I I definitely see an opportunity there, but of course in order to catch this one to first scale and now we scale with cities and we are very happy with that last point these days we're also looking for investors or by waste you know angels investors people are who are into impact and you know maybe that's a good advice you know i can give or at least you know i'm very happy to share my experience with you you know uh, sort, sort of the difference between uh, investors who are just into tech, who just look at your solution from a financial perspective, which 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 is the case, Oswabit. So you know, all the moment I meet with those people, they're not so much into the problem; they're just into the numbers. While uh, investor that you know these days I'm connecting with by ways, you know, who are more into the impact solutions, and actually you know. Uh, that's, that's nice to know you know those people they are of course they want the, they want to see a return but you know some of them they're very much nerdy about the impact you know so literally asking me well okay uh, assuming you scale what is the amount of uh, co2 you manage to save and you know this this kind of question which which is very nice because yeah uh, it makes you it makes you understand that you know capital moves differently and uh well so um, i'm not saying that you know those are better investors or uh, they're better people but you know definitely they ask you you know they're more interested about the kind of impact you make and so this actually give you the chance to connect easily with uh well very important people just because yeah you do something so important for the humanity or at least for 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 the for for the country, you know. Yeah. We are not fighting cancer or stuff like that. But well, definitely we we can, we are going to bring a positive contribution to the society. That's awesome. I think if we can change people's mentality instead of viewing things as waste, but as something that can be repurposed or recycled, there's an untold amount of good that can be done from that in the long term. One thing I was hoping to ask you a little bit about, given you started, I think, both of your companies before you went to the MIT bootcamp, is that correct? No, no. Actually, yeah, I initially started a bit before, uh, and then, uh, but you know, actually when I started, uh, it was still a part-time job, mostly a hobby thing. And then, uh, well, in February 2000 something, uh, I went to Brisbane, Australia, the first bootcamp, and uh, yeah, and you know, actually, the bootcamp gave me definitely, you know, the right energy and more or less some nice knowledge to move Swabit further. And uh, actually, uh, one year after, I started by waste, and uh, by waste story was a funny one that you know I had a very very long period working on Swabit and you know I was looking for something to really uh, disconnect and then I found out that they were organizing a, an hackathon which was about uh, Smart City and I actually went, went there without knowing nobody just because you know I wanted to think about something different 
and just bob it. I want to go out out of my mental cage. And uh, and there, so I spent three days working, you know, with people that I met just there on this, you know, internet of waste, as I used to call it. <laughs> and there were, we ended up to be the uh, we ended up to win the competition. And then, well, we, we got some early traction, and then we start to to keep spending time on this. And you know, a couple of months after, I I started, you know, in front of a notary, etc. So <laughs> it was a funny story. Great, thank you. I was hoping to ask, um, actually, how did your bootcamp experience change the way you approached your work in regards to both? One of the most important lessons, which uh, you know. I still use, or at least, you know, sometimes I actually remember about using it is, well, they actually helped me to, to frame these very big challenges in, in, a, in a very, you know, step-by-step -step approach in something which is a bit more disciplined. The fact that you have this grid content of, you know, information theories really help you to focus on what is important, which is the, your customers. But of course, you need to find a way to speak with them in a structured way in order to get information out of them. So, you know, I think that one, one of the most valuable lessons on the bootcamp is to really, you know, understand your persona. And uh, actually for me, again, that's another story. I actually found out to be a very good theory, the bootcamp, the, the moment I understood that I was the persona for their bootcamp. And you know, and then I understood, and then I said, "Shit, this this thing is working." So, and uh, it's funny because I got this moment of you know understanding the last night of the first boot camp. So after, of course, you know, you go through six hard days. You you barely sleep. At the end of these days, I ask. I don't remember one of the coaches. I say, "But so, can you tell me a bit? Can you tell me a bit more about the boot camp? Is how uh, let's say you imagine it?" And so, and there, you know, by, by asking this question, I understood that, well, actually it's funny because the bootcamp itself is, you know, the bootcamp on the theory they teach, so, which is nice. So basically, well, you know, we, we, uh, we as bootcampers, you know, we actually were chosen because, you know, of course we are innovative. We are, you know, maybe smart or at least more curious, but uh, well, definitely because, you know, we, we were in a transition, People were coming out uh, from the college, or they were in their 30s, like me, or they were in their 50s, like some of the boot campers. And funny that they actually thought about this program, uh, yeah, by using the same tools they're actually teaching. So they actually went the steps to determine the persona, etc. And you know, and mm, uh, uh, the moment that they understood. Uh, really felt uh, well this is something this is this is something which is working and uh, yeah definitely is working because again they give you few important concepts you know without complicating your life with you know too many stuff but few important concepts which help you to navigate this you know big house of you know uh, validation or starting a business which is very chaotic and uh, i think this this is the main important lesson I really appreciate that you know you were a, in my mind a seasoned entrepreneur coming into the boot camp and you still through that experience had your own kind of light bulb moment realizing that that you were the persona 
and and kind of that it was already working. I, I think that's probably the best way to walk away. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> many of us in this community are in various stages of entrepreneurship. And uh, one question that came to mind for me while you were talking is, how did you decide who your first hires should be, whether they should be technical or human specialists or some sort of hybrid? Well, initially, you know, uh, when I first first hired people on Swabit, you know, uh, initially I, I was very much looking for technical, you know, supporters, so people who could help me to really, you know, put this vision into some line of code. So, and well, somehow, you know, it is still important. <clears throat> but well, maybe you know, right now after a couple of years of, of actually this job, I, I sort of develop a maturity that uh, well, today well, the moment I have to start my third company, maybe it could be again about software. Maybe uh, you know, uh, initially uh, I will not really looking for you know, only technical people because well, somehow technical can be just you know, just another way. To solve a problem, I think that yeah, it's going to be, you know, maybe this time I will go more, you know, for sales people or at least people who understand very much that particular business, or more or less both. But well, initially, you know, when you when you first hire, is is always a is a lottery or you know, so well, basically you need to trust the the person you're going to hire. Of course, actually, uh, when I started, I made mistake. Now, in my ways, I make less mistakes. You know, I hope that, you know, you get more experience and you understand more or less what you need. And, well, the moment I need to find out with one important skill is about, you know, trust. And, of course, you need to have some competencies. But again, maybe uh, the next time will be, again, a technical one, but maybe this time, no. Because, you know, what really matters, you have to be, you have to be connected with the problem. I think this is, this, this is, this is also important. So, this Wabit, I was looking for students. You know, people who are at least people like me, actually, uh, they were coming from other countries. And those were the first people I, I hired initially just to ask interviews about the persona. And then I understood they also have some, you know, skills I might need. Uh, same for by waste. Well, we started, I, I, I co founded the company with my colleague at the university. So we are two engineers, two experts in sustainability. Well, we found out it could be a nice match. Then I also brought some people I met in my Swabit experience. So yeah, you develop a network of talent and you know, you know when is the time to activate uh, each person the other. But again, trust, which is an important skill when you start. So because you need to trust that you know, the, people, the, the person is working as much as you work somehow, or at least you know, they show some passion Maybe a different one, but yeah, they're motivated by something. I think that's that's really important. You know how, so you know, try to to acquire some technical skills. Well, it is important, but well, initially, you know, you're not going to win this game because you're you have experience, but you're going to win the the game just because you have passion. Actually, you know, sometimes the fact you have too much experience is going to guide you to wrong places. Basically, you are going to approach the problem uh, with the same perspective that you know you acquired during the experience, maybe. And it was exactly just because you had this perspective that you, you caused the problem. So sometimes, you know, the fact that your experience might not be the best indicator. Actually, 
good to combine the teams with people who don't know nothing about the sector, but they're motivated to solve it. People who know the, about the sector, but mostly from a network point of view. So, and well, uh, the moment you, you need network, it's not really a much, you know, maybe you shouldn't hire a person who has a network, but you just, you know, offer him to be a consultant, advisor, and I think that's good enough. You know, yeah, I would say passion. Maybe, maybe it, it sounds like a cliche, but uh, well, initially you don't have to sleep too much. You need to work quite hard. And you know, in case you're not really motivated to make it work, uh, well, uh, you don't need, you know, I think that's really what you need, you know. And of course, uh, it's going to take some time. And uh, you need to be open for some, you know, uh, failures. You need to be open to make some mistakes. Uh, you need to be open to learn. Uh, again, uh, be entrepreneurs about learning. You need to learn, you know, what you need from people. How, how can you assess people? How can you assess their motivation? And, you know, and you need to learn if, let's say, uh, uh, you can trust somebody after, you know, the first interview. You know, the main question is, do I trust this person? And this person, you know, deliver me whatever he has to deliver. I think trust. Having trust within your startup is absolutely necessary. I mean, otherwise, how would you be able to trust them to get anything done? And there's probably a lack of trust is probably a cause of a lot of micromanaging, I would guess, um, in some companies. Now, Ines has asked a question. Um, if you'd be able to talk a little bit about how you lead now, such as through daily calls, weekly task discussions, things like that. And we were hoping to also ask a bit about how it's changed given the COVID situation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, no, of course, since, you know, both of my companies, you know, they are, you know, somehow software companies, you know, we approach this, you know, scrum, scrum methodologies. So we, we go through sprints which, you know, I found it a very nice way of working. Now we are getting a bit, bit more, you know, we are acquired some strat uh, strategy. So, well, now we work according to goals that we define. Of course, we, we don't have enough, you know, time frame to look at what is going to happen in one year. But, you know, we try to assess some main goals we want to accomplish, try to put in a plan. Of course, we are aware that most of the time is going to change. But at least we know that, you know, uh, that particular item in the agenda is very important. And, you know, actually, this, this approach also helped me when I have to convince investors because, well, they're going to give you money to accomplish A, B, C. Well, we, we go three goals, but of course, we need to be, we need, we, we need, we need, we need to make it better. So more or less, we need, we need to find the balance between, well, uh, the fact we have a plan and the fact that we, we actually we are open for serendipity, some opportunities and some, some real value out of the, out of the box. But well, we, we use goal and you know, scrum methodologies. And uh, you know, the moment we hire people who are not technical, we try to adopt the same methodologies also with non-technical teams. So well, when it's about marketing, Again, we, we came out with a two sprint planning, two week sprint planning. Well, we came out with some main goals, we give us uh, some tasks, and then 
uh, when, when the sprint finishes, we evaluate the results and we try to learn how to mistakes or, you know, actions. That's more or less the way we work. And actually, you know, in the last months, I've been working from Italy, even if the business, the businesses are in the Netherlands. And, you know, of course, these days for certain aspects is wonderful. So you don't have to travel nowhere. And, uh, well, you just switch between Zoom calls and you move from Lisbon to Rotterdam in one click, which is fantastic. And, uh, well, uh, the way we manage the, you know, the vibe inside the, the company, so the way we manage to keep it alive, uh, we do a lot of Zoom calls. <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes we have one in the morning and we say just good morning to people. You know, sometimes we have in the afternoon, but not all the time. Yeah, we try to facilitate, you know, as much as possible communication between people. Yeah, also finding a balance between meetings and being productive, working on the task. Yeah, definitely now, since we are not sharing the same physical office, we need to have a bit more meetings in between just to let people communicate. Yeah, but, you know, I have to say that, you know, in the last months, I haven't noticed a drop in productivity. Actually, maybe we even work better. Of course, initially it was uh, we need to we need we 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 need to get comfortable in the new environment. So basically, we need to find our own space inside our own environments. You know, desks, uh, rooms, stuff that before you just go to the office and you don't care. So, but after uh, an initial period of you know, somebody need to buy a monitor or a speaker or something like that, you know, now we are working, you know, yeah, we are working with no problem. I'm just afraid, but, you know, maybe that's just something, you know, which come out of the whole world. But, you know, uh, yeah, some ideas that generally they, went, they came out when you're drinking coffee or, I don't know, play ping pong or, you know, working, working uh, in the corridor with your colleagues, you know, so some creativity might, you might miss some good ideas just because you are not, you know, physically talking and speak randomly with people. Well, that's something to consider, but, you know, so far I don't have data that to say, okay, but compared to last year, we had, you know, less crazy ideas compared to one year ago because we are not spending time together, maybe. But, well, right now this compensated by the way we are producing more. Somehow we are still safe. Yeah, but, well, uh, I hope in the future, hopefully within 2021, yeah, we are going to combine the two aspects. So we are, we, are, we are going to remain, you know, working from home most of the time, especially when it's about, well, you need to produce, you need to work on your task, you don't want to be distracted. And, you know, working from home for this aspect is great. But, of course, uh, I hope to combine it with some uh, brainstorming in person or, you know, spending time together maybe speak about you know your weekend and there uh, yeah you need to give yourself some space let new idea coming out and by then so in the future i foresee a you know a way to maybe we work three days from home two from the office something like that or maybe we work for one month from home and one week all together maybe in a different location every time it would be wonderful so you combine sort of you know you do a sort of holiday slash work and, uh, and maybe, you know, you experience in building in a different perspective. You know, I think that, uh, yeah, 
speak about well how the world could evolve i mean he will be cool when you know in the future instead of these co-working spaces which they look like you know yeah they look like uh, offices so you have your boxes with your desk maybe you know they will allow these you know co-brainstorming spaces imagine you know, this is like this uh, playground for new ideas so imagine how cool you know you have spaces where you know they are specializing in let creativity coming out and uh, maybe you know you rent it for two days you bring your team you have a lot of creativity and then you come back to your working from home task i, I think could could be a great opportunity you know i don't know maybe somebody's listening who want to try out a co-working uh, brainstorming facility i think it would be great so you're helped by some designer maybe you invite some artists to give workshop it will be a cool world so but you know currently we just work from home so we are very productive we are creative but maybe less than before because because well we don't have uh, space you know time and mental space to let new idea coming out because before we had coffee and something new was said so but it maybe it's good maybe right now that's what we need it's kind of an honor to just watch your your brain work through an idea. We kind of got the opportunity to have that in real time. But I, I really appreciate that, you know, I know this has been such a challenging period for um, for anyone, you know, but um, for, for those trying to run their own company and, and you're running too. So I, I really appreciate you also kind of sharing the the silver lining and kind of the lessons you feel we can take from this time. Thank you so much for for all your time too. So at at the at the wrap up, we've been kind of asking this question, and and I think it's a good one. What do you feel has been, you know, the best lesson or takeaway from your journey so far? or you know, some words of wisdom that you might want to leave us with. It can even be something that someone else gave you. You know, speak about you know, my personal experience. Well, maybe, well, of course, there are many, many lessons which are you know, a bit high level. Maybe instead, well, I'm going to go, go you know, against the idea of sharing big wisdom. So, well, I think that's, the main important advice that you know this experience taught me is to find your customer, you know, quite soon. <laughs> and uh, because, well, this is something that this is one mistake I made in Swabit, for example. And it came out of my experience as an engineer, I think. So I actually focused too much on the product slash, you know, of course, finding persona iterate, but uh, I haven't focused too much on the sales process. So you know, finding salespeople connect with customer and go chase them. So somehow, I mean, the metaphor is I use, even if well, it's not within my, you know, background, but you know, it's similar when you go to the gym. And like you are training, you know, two arms and one was the product and the other was, you know, the, the sales, the marketing, the, the way you're going to distribute your product. And well, you know, well, my advice is to try, try to train both arms at the same level and uh, try, let's say, you know, to spend time also, you know, train the other heart. Speaking of myself, I, I mean, because of my background, I have, I have the tendency to focus on the product arm. 
And while I always, you know, postpone the moment I need to start training my sales arm. And, you know, well, uh, two years after, I found out we have a very nice product, but very few ways to sell it. So, well, my, my, my advice is to train uh, both arms uh, with the same uh, effort. And, of course, uh, um, yeah, and uh, try to, to understand your limits. In my case, they're connected with the sales part. So with the commercial part, which is not something that I am particularly into it. And, you know, try to work around your limits. Could be, you yeah, connect with mentors who can help you with sales. Try to spend time studying them or, well, connect with many salespeople and maybe, you know, try to recruit some of them for some help. Well, uh, you know, yeah, my advice is to try to know your limits, try to know yourself, and then uh, try to train, uh, you know, the part when, when the part where you know you are not the strongest because ultimately you know you need to be balanced it you need to be at least good at both of them of course then you need to be very good at something but you need to cover all the aspects in a company you cannot don't focus on products sales or something you need to have at least some knowledge some experience some test is getting to start uh, in every places well of course initially See, when you go to the gym, you are not going to start with, you know, 100 kilos. You start with one or maybe with none. But we start, you start with the movement. So you start to learn. And so, again, try to do both things at the beginning instead of postponing any of them. So uh, just do it. Maybe <laughs> that's a commercial, but, yeah, it's somehow around the, it's somehow around the sport uh, uh, metaphors I've been using so far, so it, it's uh, it's useful. Well, thank you. I think that was maybe five lessons in one. We're gonna go over the audio of that and break down your quotes. No, but but that no, but all of it was great advice. I really, I really, really appreciate your perspective and um, uh, and and your energy. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you making making time for this today. You know, I always find it amazing. We have so, you know, so different backgrounds, but, you know, somehow the fact that we went to the boot camp is going to facilitate a lot of the connection. Also, uh, thank you for Nancy and Spencer for this opportunity. I think it was fantastic to have time to reflect upon your activities. And, you know, yeah, I think that it, it is one of the, one of the cheapest ways to go to the, to the doctor, you know. It's, it's like when you go to the, you know, when you go to therapy. <laughs> Maybe you rename the channel, the channel, you know, therapy for entrepreneurs. Or Maybe <laughs> it could be, it could be interesting. This is the nice part because, well, you know, well, we have, we are facing problems as an entrepreneur. You know, well, you need to find a community of people who can support you. Well, I think it is fundamental. So, you know, you cannot build nothing alone. So you need to be surrounded by people who share, at least they can give you some encouragement or some support or some feedback. Well, you know, community is, 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 is super essential. Much agreed. Thank you so much for, for all your time today. And uh, we will talk soon, my friend. Yeah, and, and thanks to everyone. I hope that you have a wonderful day, afternoon or evening ahead. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much. And happy holidays. And happy holidays. Ciao, ciao.
This has been Nancy and Spencer on Founders Voyage Weekly Podcast. Our speaker each week can be reached through our Discord server. Our intro and outro music is from the song Something for Nothing by Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band. We'll be back again next week for another episode. Until then, have a great day and continue your voyage.